This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. From Studio A inside the Rick L. and Vicki L. James University Center, this is Trine Line. Hello, I'm James Tu, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and this is the Trine Line Podcast. Trine University President Dr. Earl D. Brooks II will discuss some of the latest happenings at Trine University and issues in higher education. Thank you again, Dr. Brooks, for joining me today. Well, thank you again for the invitation, James, and uh, Happy New Year to you. It's good to join you again here in 2020. Well, Happy New Year to you, too, and Happy New Year to everybody who's listening. So, a recent article in the Journal Gazette, and we were actually talking a little bit about this uh, before we went on air, was talking about a report that came out earlier in December on the struggle that a lot of teacher education programs at the university level are having to enroll students. And because of that, and I think other factors as well, public schools, private schools, everybody's having a hard time having teachers available to hire. But the nice thing about the article for us was that it really highlighted some of the things that the Frank School of Education here at Trine are doing to continue to grow in student numbers and also in the programs we have. What do you think has helped the Frank School be able to thrive in spite of all these challenges? Well, I I think it's always about the Trine experience that we talk about, but it really begins with great leadership. It really starts with our dean, Dr. Tony Klein, who's done an an incredible job of really creating new energy and excitement for the Frank School with his leadership. We went through uh, CAPE accreditation, which is National Education Program accreditation, probably a year and a half ago, and uh, discovered that we're not just probably maybe the leading program in the state, but one of the leading programs across the nation in, in teacher education. And through the support of one of our alums and trustees, Dr. Tomas Firth, we have transformed the classrooms to go to more a, of a group-style uh, collaborative learning environment in the School of Ed. And it's, it's interesting, I just got off the phone with Dr. Firth before we got on this broadcast, and inquiring about what's going on in the School of Ed and what's what's happening. And then, as we all know, we got a six- or seven-year placement of 100% job placement in our Frank School of Education. So I really think we're doing all of the right things. When Dr. Klein come in, he had an opportunity to really transform the school, take it in a different direction, uh, had a number of faculty openings at the time, so really has transformed our School of Education to be not only a state leader but a regional leader and a national leader in what we're doing and in uh, education and our teachers are sought after and uh, we make it really a a creative exciting environment in a time that's uh, challenging right now to always attract the best students into education because of some of the issues related to uh, testing and teacher pay and all of that and we're trying our best to get some of those best students into teacher education and they're doing an excellent job of excelling. You kind of mentioned again the struggles a lot of schools are having right now and um, I think particularly having struggles to attract and retain STEM teachers which with our strong engineering program I'm sure is a concern. How does that impact us as a higher education institution, and, and what are we doing to help meet those challenges? Thank you. I think it's an opportunity for us, given our strengths. Uh, sometimes, to to a fault, we're uh, too heavily labeled as 
uh, as an engineering school, as we all know, we've diversified into business, education, uh, the health sciences, arts and sciences across the board. But because of our strong emphasis in engineering, we're very heavy in the STEM disciplines. We have a, a math major. Math largely supports engineering. We have a strong computer science program. We have the strong biology, chemistries, all those programs now that lead us into exercise science that lead us down the path toward health science degrees. We have engineering. So we have the strong STEM base to prepare really good STEM teachers. Probably, to me, that's probably one of the strengths we have outside of education because of the type of institution we are with our diversified offerings to really help contribute in a positive way to that shortage and demand of STEM teachers. And as we all know, that's really been a topic of discussion for the last three to five years. And there's still that critical shortage everywhere. And I think uh, also STEM teachers probably at this point are so sought after that probably even the pay levels for them a little better than perhaps elementary education majors as in comparison coming right out of school. Kind of staying with education, we also had a big announcement from the Frank School last week that uh, we're going to be looking to launch Indiana's first Montessori teacher education degree program. And I know Dr. Klein also told me it's really only going to be one of a handful in the nation. Um, why is this an important step for us and for teacher education in Indiana and what do you think are the benefits for teachers of having uh, training in Montessori method? Yeah, so as you uh, mentioned, one of a handful in the nation, first in the state of, of Indiana. And Dr. Klein has, has developed a really good relationship with Oak Farm Montessori School and uh, Avila. And now we'll be able to upgrade credentials of existing staff and teachers for Montessori uh, education. Uh, we're fortunate to take this step forward due to a grant from the DECO Foundation. Uh, DECO, once again, was very generous to Trine University and stepped forward to provide a $385,000 grant uh, to help us with the uh, jump start of this program. As we know, uh, Montessori education is known for individual pace learning and fostering uh, independence and sort of learning at your own pace. And so I think having that opportunity to not only assist Oak Farm with their programs, but also it gives our students another opportunity to pick up another licensure along the way, whether they remain in the state of Indiana, where they travel regionally, to where they travel nationally. Uh, we just think it's another opportunity. And again, it's always a good thing to be a first, you know, amongst our peers and colleagues and doing something different and certainly uh, fulfilling a need. And that's something that uh, this Montessori certification licensure will do for our School of Education. Today, which uh, is January 14th, U.S. News & World Report announced its annual rankings of online college degree programs, which included several rankings for several programs that we offer through Trine Online. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role that Trine Online plays in the university's educational offerings, and maybe a little bit about what you see as the future of online education here? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I just reviewed these numbers uh, yesterday. So in terms of adult learners and the, and the College of Graduate Professional Studies, we currently have 840 uh, online learners at this point seeking degrees from Trine University. In addition to that, numerous students taking online classes and dual credit as well as students taking them here on the, on the main campus. But 840 learners, this is a program that's 100% Trine developed, taught by Trine faculty, assisted by Trine faculty and staff, so quality is our emphasis. 
A lot of times some institutions contract out online learning for us. We take it very, very serious because of protecting our reputation, make sure that the education is the quality equivalent as best we can to make that the same opportunity and preparation for them that they would have were they in the classroom. And so we spent a lot of time uh, over the years continuing to develop that for this year. For example, we've got an online tutorial service for these students. We have uh, chat rooms available for students that have questions at off hours to assist them all along the way. So we want to make sure that that online student has the same access to staff, resources, assistance, and the quality of education that a seated learner would have here at Trine. Looking ahead, where do you think uh, online education is going to go for Trine? Well, I think there's a growing trend. There's 20-some percent now of learners are online nation nationwide. It's always sort of gravitated toward adult learners. But with the changes, the demographic cliff, economy as it is, and jobs plentiful, and students at this at this point looking at maybe I go to work versus education a lot of opportunities there if we look at what's happened with Purdue Global and where they're going which I think they'll pretty soon probably become the biggest producer of online learners probably nationwide but as we look at our current growth swing of the last two or three years and what's happened with us probably in a three-year period we went from being 50 percent seated 50 percent online in terms of a hybrid type learning a very quick shift for us to really totally online learning. And that happened really in a three-year span. So I think that'll only continue to grow as economy does well, need for folks to be employed while getting training and assistance and kind of looking at what's going on with the demographic cliff of college-age students. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I'm assuming the demographic cliff you're talking about is kind of how we've talked in the past about the reduced pool of uh, high school students who are available for to become traditional age college students yeah we're in a real dip of birth rates for a of a period really the next eight to uh, ten years I think we're out to like 2026 2028 before we see a really significant shift of any variety and and it's going to impact uh, not only trying university but all of higher educations public privates community college whatever it be will be uh, impacted by that we probably started to see a little bit of that the last a year or two with some of the regional schools. I think those in cycle right now probably are seeing even a bigger evidence of that this year. So, uh, but it's it's real. It's here with us, and we as institutions are going to have to figure out how we combat those challenges and make higher education affordable. And again, online is another good method to do that. Whether it's a combination of seated and online, totally online, any way we can reach out to serve students and meet them on their grounds to fulfill their educational needs. Kind of going back to rankings, last week, I think it was, users of the Golf Advisor website uh, ranked Zollner Golf Course the sixth best collegiate course in the nation. What do you think this says about the course? And uh, maybe talk a little bit about all the trying university staff who uh, provide staffing for it, who up maintain the upkeep on it and update it with new features. Yeah, isn't that neat? That's really that's really exciting news. And that's something that just sort of comes out of nowhere unexpectedly to get that type of rankling. I, I do think it says everything to our staff and those who maintain and do a great job maintaining the Zollner golf course. As well, know it's got a lot of natural beauty out there. It's got some topography to it. Uh, our folks do a great job with landscaping, maintaining the greens and the fairways and all that. And it is, a, it is a beautiful course. But when you look at that 
top 25 and you see there's a Zoner golf course and we're ahead of institutions such as Clemson, Texas Tech, and Duke. It can't help you but a little bit to kind of bump your chest out with a little bit of pride of what's going on there and know that you're in that top echelon of those top schools. I think with maybe uh, Georgia and Michigan were a little bit ranked higher than us, but we're in very good company. But I but I give all the credit to that really to uh, – uh, to John out at Zollner Golf Course, who's our, who's our pro and runs that along with he and Barry, and then, of course, predominantly our grounds people who do a great job year-round in maintaining that golf course with a take a great deal of pride in their work, and it pays, and I think it's got everything to do with this number six ranking. But, you know, pretty neat stuff. Looking ahead to some events that are coming up, January 29th, the university is going to be hosting – a couple of sets of parents whose sons very tragically died uh, in fraternity incidents. One was at Penn State, the other at uh, Louisiana State University. And they're going to talk to our community about the dangers of hazing and alcohol abuse. Why do you think this type of event is so important for our Well, it's very uh, sad, sobering reality of some of the adversity and challenges that I think Greek communities across the nation have faced in uh, in recent years, uh, you know, you never take that type of thing for granted. Well, I think our Greek community and our uh, interfraternity Greek council does uh, an excellent job here of doing a lot of things with community service and outreach and do a lot of things great with their local chapters. Uh, you know, one of the worries that one always has if you're a parent, your administrator, whatever it is, that these 18 to 22 years old uh, students are acting socially uh, responsible, and it's, I think, our job all weekend to continue to try to educate them and help them along uh, these lines. And this was actually, I think, sponsored by one of our uh, fraternities on campus, Sig Epp, who contacted and are bringing these folks here, and we're going to make it an evening in the first center open, not just to the Greek community, but the entire campus community and Angola community to, again, I think, better educate the sad, sobering realities uh, that that can occur with Greek life that I think uh, brought a lot of adversity and challenge into Greek communities nationwide over this uh, past year. So we see this as a uh, educational moment from uh, sets of parents who are willing to come share their story so that they can better help prepare these young men and women for the future and their involvement in Greek communities on college campuses. Our Greek communities, uh, the fraternities in particular, have a, a very long history at Tri-State and Trine. Um, what do these organizations continue to offer to our campus today? Well, they bring tremendous value. They've continued to grow just as the university has grown in uh, recent years. Our Greek community is probably in the 350 to 400 range. As we all know, the, uh, at least six of them have built out new fraternity houses over the last 10 years they've grown so there's probably 150 uh, students living in Greek housing and adjacent to our own on-campus housing so if you pull the on-campus housing with Greek housing we probably become a campus community of 1600 to 1650 versus the 1450 or so that we we advertise but they're engaged in campus life they're engaged in projects on our campus they're engaged in projects out in the community whether it's working with the park system, whether it's working in uh, with the city on projects, whether it's working in nursing homes or hospitals or paint-ups or clean-ups, whether it would be in uh, Martin Luther King Day, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about here in a, 
in a few minutes, but they do so many valuable things in our community. The amount of community service hours that they contribute on a, a, an annual basis is uh, quite fascinating. Um, and you mentioned that coming up on February 7th is going to be the university's annual remembrance of the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and this is now 29 years we've had this remembrance. Yes. Why is it so important for our campus to reflect on Dr. King's work? I think, one, for students to understand uh, adversity that they face and how they can overcome it. Dr. Joe Martin, who's coming back for the second year in a row, did a really great job last year, I think, of identifying and sharing with students and community his own struggles, how he overcome that to be in the position he's at now as, I think, the youngest tenured faculty member of a state system in, in Florida where, he was, uh, where he's been uh, tenured hosting a number one rated podcast for Christian men, having made television appearances on ABC and NBC and, and TBN. But I think also to go all the way back that for a lot of these students who don't remember for me, it seems like yesterday I'm starting to date myself, but to really know and understand uh, Martin Luther King and what he meant to to our nation and to all of our communities across uh, the United States in terms of uh, advancing civil rights, uh, the struggles to fight against uh, you know segregation, to look for equality, civility, equal equal opportunity, and really understand what he dedicated his life and career to and for us to remember that and in spite of the fact that we still face adversity today we've come so far since the work of uh, Dr. King and for those students there who think they're facing adversity to know there is a really good outcome for them that education is a pathway forward for that that there are a lot of people here to support and help them to overcome what they feel like those adversities might be because in the end what we're all about is making sure these students can have successful lives and careers. Well, on maybe kind of a lighter note, Tennessee and Indiana recently faced off in the Gator Bowl, and the Volunteers came back to win in the last second of the game. You're both a proud alumnus of the University of Tennessee and now a tw about a 20-year resident of the Hoosier State. So what were your thoughts on the game? To no surprise to anyone who probably knows my uh, Tennessee background I got a little bit of harassment and heckling prior to the game I have to say I didn't hear a lot after the game uh, most of that was was pregame but a lot of really a lot of good fun and humor with a lot of friends and colleagues great football game two great institutions and although I remain a loyal and dedicated Tennessee volunteer fan and bleed orange have learned to have a tremendous respect for uh Indiana University and all the state universities as well as private since we spent time here in Indiana. But I think uh, I think both uh, institutions represented themselves well. It was, uh, I think, one of the better bowl games in terms of excitement and finish. It's easy for me to say that now. Tennessee came out on the winning side. But it was a, it was a lot, lot of fun and a lot of good uh, gigs from colleagues, even a trustee or two who knew my Tennessee roots, but uh, great outcome, and we'll line up and try it again next year. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Dr. Brooks, for joining me today. Listeners, check back next month for more insights from Dr. Brooks on the next Trineline podcast. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.